So today, the focus of this sermon text from Mark chapter 10, and uh, the sermon is going to be about prayer and the true nature of prayer and the true nature of a relationship with God in prayer. And uh, throughout the sermon, if I say, and God says, I want you to say, please ask for help. Okay? Say it as a group, and we'll interact that way. So I'm going to try it. And God says, Please ask for help. Thank you. We'll, we'll do that throughout the sermon. So I know that as a guy, I'm not all that unique in that ever since I was taught to tie my shoes, I've wanted to say to the world, let me do it. <laughs> you ever know after a little boy, and sometimes a girl, learns to tie their shoes. Parents go to tie them. Grandparents go to tie them. And they go, let me do it. Because it's a sense of accomplishment significance and it's kind of a signature of my life matters if I can do something for myself. It's certainly part of the American spirit, but I've, I've had it in spades to where it's a fault. And a lot of people do. It grows out of our, not just our goodness, but our sinful nature as well. And we need help with it. And God's word has something to say about that. Let me give you some examples. Um, this has been a crazy week for me in a lot of ways. We have, there are 15 pastor's wives at our little place in the country, and that's where my wife is. She's part of the hosting. They're out there right now. Today's their last day. To get ready for that, I was coming back from pastor's conference on Tuesday with the guys riding in the, the van, with Adam's van, and my wife texted me and said, you're not going to like me, but I'm at Home Depot and I bought a scratch and dent refrigerator and I want it out at the ranch for the retreat and we gotta go get it tonight. After the six and a half hour ride, uh, back, jumped in the truck and went down there and it, that was a great deal. Refrigerator, half price, gotta take it out there the next morning. I, you know I do a morning devotion on Facebook I'm thinking, okay, well I'll do it out there because I'll be out there because I gotta get out there early because I have appointments to, at church and I've got a, a bull I want to take to the butcher, and they want you there by 8.30. And my mind is as I go, and i got this refrigerator in the back of the truck, and I'm not asking for help. And God says? Please ask for help. There's a carport out there. When you're lost in thought, you don't pay attention to details. So I drive in at about 10 miles an hour. Right under the carport. Bam! Bam! Two bams, right? Bam on the carport, and then bam as the refrigerator. Now, i got to back up just a little bit. We have a, 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 in our family, I have a reputation for leaving a signature dent on every appliance I've ever moved. <laughs> and the one at home is this little front dent right at, you know, right where you can see it on the front of it. And... My wife had told me the night before, you know you do this a lot. Be very careful. So all the way out there, I'm thinking, I'm driving slow. I'm not going around corners too fast. You know, the thing is, I had put some chairs in the back of the truck so that we could have enough chairs for the ladies. These folding chairs from church. When the refrigerator went, bam, bam, it landed on top of those chairs. About 15 dents. And I'm thinking... I don't really want to call her <laughs> ever again. I might just live out here. 
no, rip the Band-Aid off. And after about 15 minutes of tongue thrashing, I said, honey, I'm ready for the gospel. And she said, I'm not ready to give it. And I said, I said then I have to go because <laughs> I need the gospel. That was Wednesday and Thursday. On, on Friday, was it, Chad, or Saturday? We did the other. Another refrigerator, Ron Hout's house. We've got to get rid of it. This one's twice the size. And so God says, I went and got Mighty Mouse, Chad, to help me. And we go over there, and uh, this thing is a honker. It's one of the biggest ones, right? And it's got to get out of the house because the house is being sold. And I'm like his family, the executor of his estate. And so, you know, I asked for help. So we go to, through the front door, and it won't go. And it looks like it's just the, the mechanism for the... Uh, the screen door, so I get my drill out and take that off, and I go, okay, let's try it again, and it's not going as we pull back. Now there is, the, in about a foot, in a couple of places, all the paint scratched off the door. The house is closing for, you know, new buyer this week. We still don't have the refrigerator out of the house. So, uh, Chad says, maybe if we take the handles off of the refrigerator, we can get it through the door. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, well, I'm take the door off. And he goes, no, 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 no. We're going to take the handles off the door. And I'm jerking on, jerking on, jerking on. He goes, why don't we look it up on YouTube? I said, no, we can figure this out. We're pretty smart guys. God says? So in the meantime, he, you know, I'm messing around. He get, finds it on YouTube and he goes, oh, it just says you just lift up really hard on the handles. So they come off. If we'd have done that, we wouldn't have wrecked the door. So I have to text the new owner, hey, we paint the paint on your door is all messed up. We'll pay for it to get fixed. Why am I telling you this? This is, I don't think, well, yes, I'm unique this way. But I'm not entirely unique. We all have a tendency, and especially half of us, to not want help. But it gets more serious than these funny stories when it's spiritual. Because the thing that we do with people and situations is still us in our heart and we do it with God. And we do the let me do it thing and God says? And every one of us are, are put in places where we must, we need help. And sometimes it's painfully obvious to everyone and some of you because of your own disability your own situation in life you know that everybody knows you're having to ask for help and it's uncomfortable we we like the, the strength of independence and it's uncomfortable with people and it can be uncomfortable with God and so we avoid it and what Jesus is showing us by living out his life on earth is that we are made to be dependent on God. Yes, he, he made us so we can get a lot of things done on our own and enjoy life and having an impact, but he never meant for us to be disconnected from him. And so in a life where we are in a crazy sinful world where death and sickness and problems and refrigerators falling over is a real deal, we are going to live needing God and his help. And it actually becomes the catalyst for a wonderful faith-filled dependence on God that makes you not feel so alone 
when you're stuck and you need help and you pray about it, prayer, and you ask for help and you get it. And it's truth be told, if you look at the Gospels, what Jesus talked about when he talked about prayer a lot was teaching people in their heart to open up their heart enough to God to quit trying to be God themselves so that they would pray about things instead of stress about them. And they would be persistent in prayer, believing that God was listening, even though he maybe was making them wait. And even though they may actually be going through a situation that they never wanted, and, they, and it doesn't fit all their ideals for themselves, it's divinely ordained, and he still wants us to go through it with prayer. And in Mark's gospel, that's where we are, Mark chapter 10, this happens a lot. So there's this guy, Jesus goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration, he comes down with Peter, James, and John, and in Mark chapter 9, and there's this guy who's got a demon-possessed child for years. Demon-possessed child. Think, think of uh, convulsions and uh, out, outbreaks of, of uh, violence and cussing and danger and He's, the father says, sometimes the demon jumps on him and throws him into the fire and he gets all burned and sometimes it throws him into the water and he almost drowned. I can't even, you know, he's saying, I can't even ever be resting. And your disciples, they tried to cast the demon out and they couldn't. And Jesus has just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, the all-powerful God, right? And he says, oh, unbelieving generation. Bring the boy here. And he goes, the man goes, if you can, you can heal him. And Jesus said, almost like this, if you can. <laughs> Everything's possible for those who believe. What he's talking about is this Jesus that we, we worship, he's real. And he's really God. And God says, so don't come to me and say, if you can, come to me and say, get rid of the demon. <laughs> So he throws the demon out and the kid convulses on the ground and the disciples say to him in private, why, why couldn't we pass it out? And this is what he says. This can only go out of you, the problem, through prayer. See, this is about prayer. This is in chapter 9. That, you know, you open your Bible, it's on the facing page of the text we're going to look at. Then James and John come to Jesus just a little bit later and they go, we have a prayer for you. We want, and the, when you go into heaven and we all go there, one of us sit on the right and one on the left. Now they're taking it too far. And then Jesus says, you're going to go through the baptism of suffering that I'm going to go through. And the, but it's my father's will to decide how your life goes and where you sit in heaven. Not, it's not your choice. And then they go to Jericho, which is 17 miles from Jerusalem. And he's headed to Jerusalem, and this is it. He's been telling his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm gonna, they're going to hand me over to the Romans. I'm going to die there for the world. And this is their last trip. And he's 17 miles away, and the Passover is about to happen. And they get to Jericho, and there's a beggar. In fact, there are two of them, but in this gospel, he only talks about one of the two. And his name is... Bartimaeus. Bar means son. Like my, my last name is Patterson. It used to be in Norway, Peter's son. So Bartimaeus is son of Timaeus. I love it that Mark tells us his name because that doesn't happen very often. But what Mark is saying is probably two things. This is a very real person 
And some of you know who he is because he's become a Christian. And now when I write this gospel, he's part of our group. Right? So Bartimaeus has been, has been blind his whole life. Now, when you've been, been physically, uh, you, you have an inability that other people have your whole life. And you've prayed more sincerely than most people you know and had to ask for help and look for help with your ailment. You're a seasoned veteran at trying to think about all this stuff. Lots of times us without so many disabilities, when it hits us in later in life, we are novices. We, have, we don't have the wisdom of a guy like Bartimaeus. But Bartimaeus has been living as a beggar in a, in a society that doesn't have near the medical or the governmental support that you and I have today. And it's been rough and he's been praying and he is a Jew and he believes in God just like all of his contemporaries. And basically, he's been dumped on compared to all the people he knows his whole life. He had lots of reasons to be cynical and think. Either God's not there, or God doesn't care, or I'm just so bad, or somebody in my life was so bad that I'm getting dumped on because I pray and not much changes. And then on the scene... For three years now, and it's now the third year, there's this guy that Bartimaeus hears about he can't see, right? He hears about him because Jesus has been going up north and south, north and south, north and south. And the road is through Jericho every time because Jews went across the Jordan River, down the eastern side of the Jordan River and then crossed the river at Jericho or close to Jericho, came through Jericho and went to Jerusalem because they're, they're avoiding the Samaritans. So Jesus has been in this greater region for three years doing miracles and blind people are seeing and deaf people are hearing and people are raised from the dead and there is a crowd around Jesus. Now the crowd, there's also, even if Jesus wasn't there, there would be a crowd going to Jerusalem because of what? The Passover, right? The great feast. So you've got this pilgrim crowd. Then you've got the Jesus crowd. And, and, and they're thinking Jesus is going to declare himself to be the Messiah at the Passover. Because that was their folklore for many, many decades. So here's this guy healing all these people. And most of the, the three years, Jesus would subdue any claim that he was the Messiah. Because most of the people wanted to make him a bread king, a governmental leader when they meant that. And they, they would hasten the story beyond what he and the father were managing. But not today. We enter the story and the idea that he's the Messiah and the prayer of the blind man, Bartimaeus, it all comes out without any reproof or subduing by Jesus. So now I want you to, to look with me. I, by the way, the screen in the back is turned off. Are these on? Okay, so we should be able to um, have, the, have the scriptures up there, but they're on page 8 here. So let's, let me read the story to you, okay? We're going to make two points about prayer. Please ask for help. They, they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by a roadside begging when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, remember, he heard, who is it? They said, it's noisy crowd, it's Jesus. 
He began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many, many of the people around him rebuked him and told him to be quiet. It was a ruckus and it wasn't pretty. But he shouted all the more, be quiet. No, I'll shout louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In other words, I want help and I got to give my voice to you. It's the only tool I've got. I want help. Jesus stopped. He said, call him. So they called the blind man. Hey, cheer up. On your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside. He runs over to Jesus. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. Remember the background I told you? The guy that comes that has the demon-possessed boy, and if you can, this is not an if you can person. This is a person that this is not a let me do it person. This is I can't do it. I've lived blind my whole life. I'm completely helpless. I have only one thing, and that's to ask you. And this is probably my once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And he was right. Because <laughs> Jesus is going down to die, then he's going to rise again. 40 days be with his apostles, and he's going up to heaven, right? My once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to cash in and get eyesight. I'm praying to you. I don't care what people say. I'm going to talk to God about it. Please ask for help. I'm asking for help. And it stopped Jesus in his tracks. Because Jesus is the one that told the parable of the persistent widow. The persistent widow, he said, kept going to the judge, and the judge had no heart for justice, but she was bugging him so much, he gave her justice. Jesus is the one that said, ask and you'll receive, seek, knock, ask, seek, and knock, right? He's the one that begs us to be persistent in prayer, trusting that God would answer, even though sometimes he says, wait. Have you stopped praying and started stressing more? Do you believe you're not like you're, sometimes people will say to the pastor, and this happens all over, it's not just me, will you pray for me because you're close to God? <laughs> no, my friend, I will pray for you, but no, we're all close to God because he's close to me, right? Not about me working my way up to be close to him, but he came down and is down and he's close to me. Do you think it's only other people that, that God wants to have stories where you pray about it and God comes through in a big way? How long do you look for your keys? They say the average person looks for their keys in their lifetime 17 days. I've already looked for keys about 40 days. Oh. I get so stressed when somebody says, do you have the key for it? <laughs> it's happened this week, during this crazy week. Mary says, do you have the keys for this? I have no idea, and I don't even want to go look for it. <laughs> uh, but you know what happens? If I stop, this is such a small thing, but the small is in the symbol of the big. If you just stop and say out loud even, Lord Jesus, help me find those keys, because I can't find them. 
I've been amazed at how fast either I remember where they might be or they, I just find them. When I was a teenager, my little nephew, who's about Caden's age, took my keys and put them in an eight-track player in our bedroom, you know, and the door shut behind them. I let him find those for months until you try to put an eight-track in there. But pray about it. Uh, you know that we have an incredible thing going on with a new school and church up in Liberty Hill. In my life, not God's life, not other people's life, but in my life, the genesis of that to start anything at all was I would drive up and down I-183 and this, see all the new houses and I saw a rolling light, lit up church sign of a church that isn't very faithful to the scriptures by reputation. And I said, Lord, we got to start a church up here with the pure gospel, a high esteem for the word of God. I want to see a church up here. How do we ever do that? Lord, please make it happen. This, this true story. About six months later, a, uh, the professor Sorum from the seminary said, called me up and said, I have 27 Seminary students want to do a two-week outreach event. Can you use them? I'll find a way. Right? We did a one-week food drive in Liberty Hill to a thousand homes. Those seminaries, guys, we we uh, some of us put out a thousand bags, and then they came four days later, and they went. It was cold, forty-degree cold. I know you're from up north. Forty degrees and rainy. It was cold, and they went door to door at collecting food and asking godly questions about Bible and faith. And they were telling them, we're going to start a church here. That was all we had. Was like, we're going to start a church here. And somebody that they went to the door of said, you know what? If you're going to start a church here, we're closing ours down right over there on Highway 183. We, we, have, we need somebody to sub-rent the, the storefront for us. And we'll give you all the musical equipment, all the chairs, all the tables, everything else. I'm the president of the congregation, and we're done. We had an argument over... Uh, sexuality in our congregation. Our pastor is a, a, a retired guy. He's tired of the fight. He's done. We lost our message. We lost our church. Are you interested? <laughs> you bet. And we did that. We subrent that storefront. They gave us all that stuff. And one of those seminarians was Stephen Ack. And that was in January. And he, this mission board gave us money for a missionary in May, and he got a sign. And the mission counselor took him around to see the, the, uh, the developers, and one of them's name is Ed Horn, who's a Christian building Santa Rita Ranch. And Ed Horn and, and the mission counselor, Ed Shippey and Steve Att, walked into his office, and Ed said, I've been praying about this. The lady that sold the property to me said, you have to let churches have property in this subdivision. And, you have, and she was a Christian. The lady that sold the land was a Christian teacher, retired Christian teacher. And Ed said, I believe in Christian education. Do you guys ever do anything like that? Do. Right? Long story short, we got help from another church, the Wells Church in Florida. And we ended up with the donated land, donations of money from Ed and others. And then we got a school of 200 kids up there worshiping in that. That's prayer. Do you think God wants to answer your prayers in a big way? Yes, he does. 
He doesn't just answer this person over here or that. It's every child. Remember what Jesus said to the man with the demon-possessed child? If you can, everything's possible for those who believe. Sometimes I think we think he said his words to other people. No, he doesn't want you to do, let me do it. He wants you to do, Lord, help me. Because God says, but if you're going to ask for help, don't do it as a cocky, demanding, bitter person. And by the way, I'm trying really hard here to help all of you stay spiritually mature about prayer. Because we can get way off the tracks on this. I went, as a vicar, I went to a lady's bedside who was dying of cancer. My pastor was out of town. I was a seminary student. It was a part-time vicarship. And it was in Milwaukee. And I'd never met this lady. And she was in her last week of her life. And I went to her bedside. And I had a, a, a ready a devotion about Jesus being, you know, your Savior. And open the door to heaven. And I just asked her. I said, if, if this were the day that the Lord takes you from this life, do you believe you're going to be in heaven because I wanted her to be sure. Do you know what she said? Anybody who suffered as much as I have deserves to go to heaven. She meant that sincerely. Deeply. Member of God's church, just like our church. Same kind of church. Same kind of gospel. Preached every Sunday. She sincerely thought her suffering had earned her. Because we can get that way in prayer because it hurts so bad and others don't have to. And God lays this burden on us and we do it the best we can and we feel so, we can feel so self-righteously self-pitied. This man on the side of the road had the right to be that way. Remember what I told you about him. Lifelong blind guy. He'd find other people who their blindness would come on them suddenly like at age 45 like it does for us. And he would... He would like probably shake his head and go, you're, a, you're just a novice at this needing help, right? He'd feel good about, no, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner asking. I'm not over here saying I'm self-righteously great. I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. I want you to pray that way when you expect God to do big things. I don't deserve it. I'll never deserve it. But have mercy on me. And Jesus did what? He stopped in his tracks when that man said that. He'll stop in his tracks for you and me too. So, there's more in the story though. Jesus! What's the next phrase? Son of David, have mercy on me. The only place in Mark's gospel that this term is found is in this story in that line. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, it's all over the other Gospels, but Jesus was mostly subduing it when anybody would call him the Son of David until these last weeks of his life. And now he's going down to Jerusalem to die for us. When he got to Jerusalem on Tuesday of Holy Week, he asked the, the, uh, the bad guys, the Pharisees and Sadducees that are trying to uh, have him arrested and they want to get rid of him. He said, the, the Son of... Uh, the Messiah when he comes whose son is he and they go son of David and he goes well then why does David call him Lord he's actually starting to teach what son of David means that it means that the Messiah is a human that is God that he's God right but and so here when this blind man dares to say son of David that man was saying something to Jesus 
that only Jesus and that man fully resonated with, and Jesus, who could read hearts, knew what that man, the depth of that man's faith. So when he heard that, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, stopped in his tracks. You know what he's thinking? That one's mine. That man over there is not like that father who said, if you can, you can cast out the demon. That guy, he believes that I'm the Messiah. Not everybody did. That's why they killed him. He goes over there and he asks him what any father would ask their own child. Any husband who loves his wife would ask his own wife. When you own someone, you ask questions like this. What do you want me to do? You can ask whatever you want because you're one of mine. You believe in me as your Messiah, your Savior. Now the guy could have been, I've been asking in prayer for 40 years, sir. No. He said, Master, uh, Rabbi, I want to see. You almost kind of like scratch your head and go, did either one of them have to ask, what do you want? And what, do you, you know, what are you going to say? Because if, if you're with Jesus and you've got everything else taken care of and you're blind, that's what you want, right? But I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Go where? When you believe Jesus is the Messiah, go where? Do you want to go anywhere without Jesus? Why'd you come to church today? Some of you drove pretty far. Made some efforts, right? But you want to be around Jesus and his word and his people because you believe in him, right? So the man followed Jesus. And think about following Jesus into Jerusalem. The guy that just healed him is going to be up on that cross. Now the man, when he said, I believe you're the Messiah, probably didn't put all that together. Even the disciples who were close to Jesus couldn't. It was right over their head, right? But he got to see it all. And later Mark tells you his name because he's probably one of the group, right? He's part of the kingdom, even with his knowledge being small. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So when you pray, pray with the bigger context in mind. Pray with who Jesus is in mind. It goes like this. Lord, I need my car fixed, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't want to be, let me do it, guy. I, I want to be dependent upon you. I don't believe I deserve it, even though it's so suffering for me to keep going through these troubles with cars because I can't afford a, a nicer one. I'm just like role-playing here. But you're the Messiah. You've saved my soul. I'm going to heaven. I don't, you know, I don't, I'm, when I talk to you, Lord, I don't need everything to go perfectly for me to be happy. I will always be yours. You are my Savior. You died for me. You're my son of David. You're my Messiah. But I am talking to you about this little problem that I've got. And God says, you missed it. <laughs> it's my fault. I set it up wrong. But God says, please ask for help. So I'm asking for help. But I know if you don't help me, you've got a bigger plan. So Paul the Apostle would write the Romans. Romans chapter 8. We know that in all things, you guys can finish it for me. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And then it says his purpose is that you'd be made 
into the image of his son who cried out to his father and his father said no so that we could save others. So true prayer is not getting everything you think you need. It's getting everything you know you need in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. As he went to that cross, he took away your greatest need, which is redemption. He took away your sins. And he redeemed your soul. So when you pray to him at any time, pray boldly, expect big things, but also pray trustingly that the biggest things already been taken care of. Let's pray. Lord, help us in our unbelief. That's what that, that, that fellow said at the end of chapter 9 or middle of chapter 9. He said, help me with my unbelief. But I do believe. We're, we're your believers, but we also have doubts. And that's why we don't always pray like you're showing us. We do believe you're the Savior of our souls. And we do believe you want to do big things for us when we pray. And we've heard again your word that you love it when your people humbly talk to you. So we're, we're all thinking silently about our own needs right now, each one of us. And we give them to you in prayer. And we ask you by your Holy Spirit to comfort us with the promises we've heard. Take away the stress of worry. Take away the doubts that leave us empty and fill us with hope. And, and, and help us to follow you wherever you lead us. Amen.